0: How are you guys doing? Yeah, some of you look okay. <laughs> no, you guys, you guys look great. It's good to see you. It's a new year. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I love New Year's. It always starts with promise, you know? Doesn't it? At least it starts with it. <laughs> and we hear this constant messaging about change, about doing better doing better than you did before, exercise, eat right, maybe read more, pray more. We get these messaging, you turn on the radio, there it is. New Year's resolutions, what are you doing? What's going on? It's almost like it's built into the human framework and psyche that we need restarts, we need redos. It's pretty interesting and we always do it right around New Year's. There's this, even people who aren't Christians are like, we need to start over. <laughs> we, need to, we need to do over. We need to do better. Have you, have you noticed though at the same time that we got this messaging of do better, be better, exercise more, read more, pray, all this stuff. These same outlets, listen to the radio, the news, there's this constant drumbeat of doom of the issues of our day. And it's like, be afraid. Be very, very afraid. And if we lend our minds to that, the things that you want to do differently and do better, those seem to kind of fade away and you fall back into the same rhythms that you were functioning in or dysfunctioning in prior. You guys hear me? You follow me? But Jesus, everybody say, "But but Jesus. But Jesus... has a plan. Jesus has a word. The word. Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit. He's here right now. Living in me, living in the people of faith. It says John 14, I will be in you and I will be with you. That means here right beside you and in you. Good stuff. And I believe that Jesus has a radical realignment for us. And yes, I said radical. I'm a child of the 80s. I lived in Santa Cruz for five years as a missionary to the Santa Cruzians. And they use that word like water. They still use it. It's a cultural thing. So to look at this radical realignment that we want to jump into, we're going to be looking at the book of Philippians. And we've been looking at it for the past couple weeks And the Apostle Paul wrote this book, he met the resurrected Jesus. He actually met the resurrected Jesus as he was on his way persecuting the church. God himself, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, knocked him off his horse, blinded him, and said, you're mine, and this is what you're gonna do for me. (laughs) that's a rough day. God gets in your way and blinds you and says you're mine. Sounds cool, not cool at the same time. But Paul writes this book to this small church in this city called Philippi. He started this church, and these people were beginning a new life in Jesus. They were living a radical realignment. They were in a pagan culture, and they had been, they had been called out, and we're gonna get into what that, what that means. But there's this phrase in the book of Philippians, To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that phrase, to live is Christ, and to die is gain, I would say is overarching on this entire book, maybe even the entire Bible itself. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. It was coined by Paul, and this book, I believe these words. I believe these words. I tried to live what Paul is, is saying. I'm going I'm to introduce you to some tension this morning. Is that okay? There's some tension that I live in as a believer in Jesus. So, a radical realignment. And this realignment is specifically targeted at your plans, your focus, your values, what you value. Amen. So if you have a Bible this morning or if you have a a smartphone that has the Bible, if you can open up to Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we're probably going to start in verse 12. Uh, Like my dad always says, my notes have notes, and I feel like this message, I'm on a boat and I got my fishing line hooked into a whale and it's just dragging me along and I don't know where I'm going. So bear with me, pray for me as we go forward this morning. But let me pray. Jesus... I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you are real. In spite of any of my shortcomings, you love and you restore and you strengthen in the midst of trial, trouble, tribulation, in the midst of new beginnings. Jesus, you are here. You are the steadfast one pursuing. I thank you, Lord, that You have this word for us this morning. You have this word that has gone through the the centuries that we can read and and let it speak to our lives and judge the attitudes and the thoughts of our hearts. Jesus, I thank you for your mercy and your grace in this moment. Help us and open our ears to what it is you would have to say through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 and 14 says this. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Speaking to a process right there. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Today we're gonna look at what Paul means in this text by letting go and pursuing the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus. And lastly, when these two things come together in the person of faith, something happens. Something transpires. Little context first, I'm a huge context guy. If we don't understand the context of what the of how the word of God was spoken in its context, we don't understand what's going on. The, the, the city of Philippi was considered to be Paul's first church plant in Europe. It was the first time that the gospel was preached in Europe. It was modern day Greece. And from there it began to spread into Europe. Any Europeans in here? Irish, Scottish, German, Norwegians, all their own. Yeah. The gospel was on its way. It was in Philippi and it was on its way to your ancestors. Reached Ireland in the third century, fourth century. This city prided itself on its rich battle history. It was was in this strategic highway between Europe and... And and Rome and Asia, it was like, it was this, this amazing strategic place. And many people fought over this. The Greeks, the Romans, the Macedonians fought over this place for hundreds of years. And at the time of Paul, these guys prided themselves in a Roman colony. And Rome specifically, this is pretty interesting, put military veterans... It was a retirement city, essentially, for retired military veterans. So you had this huge national pride. You had military veterans in this strategic place. So these people knew how to fight. They, they, they were tough. They, they, they weren't, you know, just people walking around in robes and togas and eating grapes. These were, these were tough families, tough dudes, and, and this is the context that is it, being spoken, and, and Paul, through this book, is asking the, these people to consider his way of life as he follows Christ. And at the time that he wrote this letter, he was in prison. This was a time in history when being in prison carried with it a social stigma. Today, it's a little more thug life. It's kind of cool. You know, you got rappers recording from prison and stuff like that. But back then, it was like, yeah, uh, something's wrong with that guy. The average person was like, yeah, you're preaching about who, this, this Jesus? Well, yeah, you're, it got you put in jail. Like, that's not, that's, that's not, something's wrong there. So he had this stigma that Paul was, by, was fighting this, and you can see it all through the books that he wrote, Galatians, um, all the prison letters that he wrote. But for some reason, the Philippians were pretty excited about Paul, and they were actually helpful to him in his journey being in prison. So the first thing in this text. So you. So now you got some context, right? Are you in Philippi with me? Okay, we're we're there. Just just think for a minute. You're a, you're a Philippian. And Paul is saying, forget what lies behind. But forget what he says. What lies behind. He's not just talking about your past like New Year's light message like, hey, last year is just last year, baby, like it's all water, water under the bridge, we're going to, you know, you're going to do new things, just, just, you know, put on a smile and, and get her done. That's not, that's not what he's, he's talking about. Something else is happening much deeper and we got to back up in the passage just a little bit to understand what we just read. So Philippians chapter three, verse seven through nine Paul says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, say everything, Everything. as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, Say rubbish. rubbish. Ah, you cussed in church. Uh-huh. In the Greek, Paul actually uses a word that's actually a cuss word. And we won't say it this morning, but I'll just say dung. He actually calls everything he was, everything that he did. And even before, verse, starting at verse 7, he was listing his ethnic identity. You know, I, I was thinking about just reading the entire chapter 3 to you guys, but I didn't want you guys to go to sleep on me, but um, verse seven, he's talking about his ethnic identity. He's like, I was the man. I was the Jew of Jews. I had everything dialed according to my context and my family and where I lived. I was the man, and God called me out of that, and he says he counts it as loss. So do do you hear what Paul is saying? He's talking to these people in Philippi that have this extreme uh, uh, historical battle ridden culture, and these retired veterans, patriots of Rome, and he's saying, let it go. Let it go. And then he goes even further, everything, because he talks about his own ethnic identity and where he's from. He's like, I let all that go. I'm not that anymore. I'm something else. He's talking about a person he used to be, his identity. You see, guys, faith in Christ plus nothing equals everything. Faith in Christ plus nothing equals everything. That's what he's saying here. Some of us try to re, try to retain our, our, some resemblance of our identity of before we met Christ, and, and we, we try to sprinkle a little Jesus juice on our life. I'm serious. And, and instead of just stepping out out from that stuff and going, "Jesus, I'm yours and, and you are mine." It's all for nothing unless you have Jesus. So yes, we're saved by and to a person, and it's Jesus. He's real. He died for your sins, your past, your present, and future sins. Ouch. Yeah, you're a saint that sins. Not that that's license to go act like an idiot. But you got to understand who you are. If you're going to understand, okay, I'll I'll get into that in just a minute. I'm sorry. Many of us hold views in our lifetime. The Philippians had views and understanding, and Paul's trying to break these things. And these views in our lifetime can be faulty, inflated, or emaciated. Just ask the the wives in here about their husbands and their faulty views. I've been married 25 years and I've had quite a few. But three areas I believe to be the most important these views that that God wants to attack and realign and radically realign in our lives is how we see God, how you see yourself, and how you see the world. Those three things. And Paul is going after it. He's, he's, he's telling us who God is, it's Jesus. He's telling us how we need to see him. We need to see him as everything. Letting go of my past, letting go of who I was, and embracing Jesus. I believe there's a lot of us in here right now that need to let go of some inflated or emaciated views of God and of ourselves, and of the world, and your place in it. The next thing he's telling the Philippians do, he says, let go, and it's everything. Say everything. everything. Let go. And then he says, pursue the prize. Pursue the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Um... John Piper actually wrote a book many years ago called God is the Gospel. And I was like, what is that? It was kind of, uh, just sounded kind of strange to me and I kind of, I started, I jumped into it. This was years ago and it flipped my, flipped my lid. It, it, did, it did something to me. Um, and it, it speaks directly to this, this verse in Philippians. See, when you said yes to Jesus, speaking to the faith, the faith community here, when you said yes to Jesus, there was an upward call for you in Christ. Your focus, your heart, everything about you was in Jesus now. And that was where you would look. That's where you do look. Look. So you were saved, some of us got it, got it backwards. I said yes to Jesus, and now I get my cush life. Now I get blessed, now I get the this, I get the that. Now I get to be in heaven. Let me ask you a question. If you could have eternal life and all the benefits of being in heaven that was created by the God that created the universe, but that God was absent, would you go? How you answer that question determines from where I'm standing whether or not you actually said yes to Jesus. Your God maybe is yourself and your own preservation. Paul goes into that in chapter three as well. He talks about the people being enemies of God Enemies of Christ and their God is their stomach. Meaning the Hebrews nephesh, the your God is your flesh. Oh boy, we're getting deep now. I I I'm speak, I'm preaching to the choir here. I, I'm in flesh too. I'm not God. I struggle with that just like anybody else in here does. But when I when I came across that, pursue the prize of the upward call of God, all of a sudden, my life, what I wanted, when I wanted it, stopped being the focus. The focus was Jesus. The focus is to keep our eyes, our hearts, body and soul fixed on Jesus, who Jesus is, where Jesus is, because Jesus is your prize. When you get to heaven, are you gonna be stoked to see your, your, your family members? Or are you gonna be stoked, I'm, I'm gonna say stoked, I'm from Santa Cruz, so I can not say that. Are you gonna be excited or stoked to see Jesus? Of course it's gonna be both, right? I mean, my dad is with Jesus, in the Irish section, playing golf. See, even in heaven, I put a distinction in there, right? That's the flesh. Of course I'll be excited to see them. But Jesus is the one that is with me and in me, and by faith, I'm pursuing him in that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This call is huge. This call is huge. The call starts as external, God is calling you, and then you say yes, and then, and then it's internal. And then the call is actually in you. And you look forward and God is calling you forward to these things, but there's also this call in you that you give to the world, come follow me. You gotta meet Jesus. He's changed my life and changed my heart. I'm a new person, I'm not who I was. He is the prize. Jesus is the prize. I don't know what, how, how that makes you feel, but for me it makes me feel like I need to get to know him better. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute, you're up there preaching the Bible. Yes, I am. But I want to know Jesus better. I want to know him better because he is the prize. And he shows himself as being the prize by dying for our sins and rising from the dead. Somebody say amen. Amen. So how do we do this? How do we let go and pursue the prize for the upward call? This is the people of faith. God is calling you to come out and be separate. God is calling you to come out and be separate. God gave me this word um, during 2020 when, we were, when the whole nation and the world was going through COVID. And there was crazy things jumping off. There was riots and protests going on because George Floyd was, was murdered in, in, in the northern cities. I think it was Minnesota, but um, there was crazy stuff going on. And in my own city, I was in Santa Cruz, and we were ministering to people, and we were pastoring a church. And uh, some of our own own members were were uh, pursuing these these uh, I'm going to call them social justice movements and their and their tenets. And I began to look at them and and go, okay, is this God? Is this is this a move of you? Is this a move of redemption? Is this something that is redeeming the time? And we're going to get into that word in just a second. And I came across some things, and the Lord gave me a word specifically. He says, what does the temple of the Lord have to do with Belial? I was like, what in the world? does?" Okay, Lord, I'm going to have to look that one up. I know it's in the Bible somewhere, but it's in 2 Corinthians. And uh, you can look it up there. And Belial is the ancient name, one of the ancient names for Satan. And there's this dichotomy, this like, you know, God and Satan, Jesus and Satan that, that Paul brings up. And he's like... No, and and he says, come out from them and be separate. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, I think we have it in uh, the notes, I believe, maybe we don't. Um, Yep, we do. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them. We're living in that right now. This This is an ancient prophecy, but we're living in that right now. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and then I will welcome you. So you got part of the, the ancient law there of, of the, 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 the cleanliness, the cleanly rights, right? Well, Jesus fixed all that for us, right? But there still is a call of separation, and I think in, in, in the Christian world for the past 50, 60 years, maybe a little bit longer, we've spent a lot of time trying to convince people in the world, well, we're just like you. We're normal. I've been in churches that change language in the Bible in order to, to make it more palatable to, 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 to people and say, oh, we're just like you guys. No, we're not. I'm sorry, we're not. We're not like the world. There's an absolute distinct difference. And what is it? It's Jesus. It's not me and my righteousness that's the distinct difference. It's Jesus that's alive in you, that's making the call in you to be with Him continually, and then calling the world to Himself. Come out and be separate. There's something in your life right now, I know God does this to me all the time, that he's calling you to do differently. He's calling you to come out and be separate. At that, at that moment in 2020, when I was going through that, and he gave me that word, it was specifically about going to protests and things of that nature. Because I had other people are like, dude, we're going, we're going. And I'm like, hmm. And these were Christians, I'm like, should I go? And the Lord was like, no, that is not where you're supposed to be. I'm like, okay. You need to be different. How different? Jesus different. Jesus different. Oh, there it is. Your view of God, your view of self, your view of the world. He wants you to be like him. He wants you to be where he is, that pursuing the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. The prize is in Jesus. It is him. So I want to tell you a quick story. Where are we at with time? Okay, we're good. Whenever a preacher starts with this phrase, a long time ago, people start snoozing. But I'm going to say it. <laughs> a quick story. A long time ago, in the third century, Um, So a long time ago, in the third century, so we're talking in the 200s A.D. after Jesus, Christian men and women endured atrocities. And really, the the, the Christian movement was birthed out of persecution. We worship a murdered Christ. Just let that sink in for a minute. So our movement, who we believe and who we follow, was somebody that, that was persecuted and murdered and martyred. And then from then on, all of the disciples were martyred for their faith. And it continued. And it got worse and worse. In the second century, it was bad. And men and women began to leave the world, come out and be separate. They began to go into the deserts of Egypt and Syria and began to live an aesthetic life by themselves. The earliest of these, these, these people actually became known as the desert fathers and mothers. And they were people that lived an aesthetic life, and they lived way out in the bushes, out in the boonies. And they lived alone, by themselves. So many of them started to go out there over the past two, three hundred years that they actually began to come together. And they still lived separately, but they would come together once a week. And they would share, and they would encourage one another. The first of these, the greatest was St. Anthony. He was born in 256 A.D. to Christian parents and suffered persecution, but he heard this verse in church, and he took it seriously. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. So he did. There was a calling to come out and to be separate. They lived aesthetic lives. They lived in caves. Doesn't sound very awesome. <laughs> Although I got, a, I got a deep affinity and affection for these people that actually have taken the word of God and applied it to flesh and bone and has allowed it to change them. And they lived a life that was wholly surrendered and dedicated to God. By the fifth and sixth centuries, some intense heresies started creeping into the church, and because of the Edict of Milan, now I'm giving you a history lesson, hopefully you you guys don't disappear on me, but Christianity was legalized by the Roman Empire by the third century, I'm sorry, by the fourth century. It's called the Edict of Milan. Constantine said Christianity is now legal in the empire. It was incredible, incredible. Went from this grassroots thing You know, fringe to all of a sudden taking over, and every Christian in the Roman Empire, which is really the known world, it was huge, were now at peace and rest. But slowly but surely, the political movement of the day crept its way into the church, into the leadership of the church. And the church's leadership became lax and idolatrous. And their morals started to decay. And there were people that were saying, this is not God's best. This is not. And they started to retreat again back to the deserts. Because the message of Jesus and who he was was being obscured. But it's interesting. As they were leaving, as they were being called out of the world, it seems so counterintuitive, but follow me. They were being called out of the world in time They actually saved the gospel. They saved the world. Athanasius, St. Athanasius. If you want to read a quick history of somebody radical and amazing, read the life of Athanasius. He was alive during the the, the time of the Nicene Creed in 326, 325 A.D. And he was a pastor bishop in Alexandria, Egypt. Um, Athanasius, A-T-H-A-N-A-S-I-U-S. He is sainted by every branch of Christianity from the Eastern Orthodox to the Catholics to the Protestants, which is who we are here in this room. And I think so anyway. Um, Gotta understand where you're at. At least try to. Um, Athanasius was booted out of his church by the government several times for preaching John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was this big fight about the divinity of Jesus and who he is. There it is. Your view of God is everything. And Athanasius ran out to the desert. Who did he find out there? He found St. Anthony. Was like, hey, dude, this is what's going on. And St. Anthony helped Athanasius. And for a better half of, I want to say it's 25 to 30 years, Athanasius was the bishop of the largest church in Alexandria, but was excommunicated. And he would sneak out of the desert when he heard that the Roman soldiers were out of the city and would sneak into his church on Sunday and preach about Jesus, and then they heard Athanasius is in the church, and they would run in there and chase him and chase him out of the church and chase him back into the bushes. The people loved him, but the powers that be didn't because they thought he wasn't. Pre- that they should preach this kind of Jesus, but it wasn't the Bible Jesus. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this, but this idea of being separate and becoming separate, and, and not spending so much time trying to be buddy-buddy with, with the world, or, or, or hey, we're normal, we're just like you. We're just like you, we're, no we're not. We're actually different, we're called out, we're separate. Not greater than or better than, but called out by Jesus himself. And this is not a new idea to the Bible. The timeline of salvation, I'll give you a big word, the salvific story from Genesis to Revelations is all about God calling people out and setting them on a trajectory. Abraham was called out, Moses was called out, Elijah was called out, John the Baptist was called out. The 12 were called out. Mary and Joseph called out. Where you're standing right now, Jesus has a call upon you to be with him where he is, to be about his business. The list goes on. God is calling people. So Ephesians chapter five, listen to what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Verses 15 and 17, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making best use of the time. That phrase best use, some translations take the Greek and they use the word redeeming, redeeming the time. I like that a lot better. Because yeah, man, you and I wasted a lot of time. We've wasted a lot of time. We've done some great things for Jesus, I'm sure. If you've been a person of faith for any, 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 any stretch of time and you've surrendered your life to him, you've done some things for him, I'm sure. And he's used you in a mighty way. But there's a redemptive nature every day of following Jesus that he wants to redeem the time. And as you're going forward, guess what? There's time behind you and it's been redeemed walking in a redemptive time. because So he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're gonna go back to Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 and 18. I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish with, with uh, these remarks here, so bear with me. Verse 17 through 21. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk, there's that word, walk, according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, their end is their destruction, and their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame, with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. That word citizenship is the same word in Ephesians where it says, look at how you walk. It's per, 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 it's, it sounds like peeling a potato. Peripafeo is how you say it in, in the Greek, and it literally means citizenship. Look at your citizenship. Look at who you are in your daily life, where you are, where you, where you live. And he's telling you right where you are. If you have faith in Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven. Just think about how those people would, I mean, come on. You got people that have their identities wrapped up in so many things. Us in this room have our identity wrapped up in so many things. And he's saying, no, you're a citizen of heaven. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it, from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Jesus is the savior. By faith, I'm a citizen of heaven right now where I stand and he's coming back and when he comes back, You and I, whether we're dead or alive, are going to be like him, says. Like his resurrected body. A spirit empowered, living forever body. And we're going to be with him. I don't know about you guys, but that's really important. Jesus is the gospel. I press on towards the upward call of God. In who? Jesus. So do something different for God this year. Bring redemption to your time. Move forward. This is the last thing. Move forward. Hebrews 12.1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded, all of you in here are surrounded right now by a cloud of witnesses. And in Hebrews in chapter 11, he talks about a cloud of witnesses that have gone on before us. My dad's part of the cloud of witnesses talks about the chapter 11 of Hebrews as the hall of faith, all the famous people of faith from the Bible. Those people are surrounding us. He said, since we're so surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We're saved by and to a person. He's not just a door. He does say he's a door, but he's so much more than that. It's just one of the statements of Jesus. you got to take it as a whole. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, I'm going to challenge you with this. A lot of us have this mixed in with our religion. You do a lot for God. I'm going to tell you to stop doing for God. What are you talking about? I'm going to ask you to start being with him. I want... Start being with him. And let the being with him, let that produce the doing. Some of us get involved in so much stuff, doing so many things and doing, and we're like, where the heck are you, Lord? I mean, I've been doing all this. Oh, dang, you're way back there. What the? And he's like, slow down. Psalms 46.10, be still. Be still. And know that I am God. Now that does something to our American Protestant work ethic. It messes with us. It messes with me. It's like I have to be doing something for God. You know, and I was was very excited about doing things for God. Until one day he woke me up. I was on my way to my car, and I had this this revelation inside of a music store of all places, and I'm walking to the car with a friend of mine, and I just start bawling like a baby, and he's like, what the heck is wrong with you? And I was like, just give me a second. Just give me a moment. I went into this music store and talked to this guy who owned this store, and nobody really liked this guy. I talked to people, and they're like, oh, man, don't go in that store. That guy's just... uh." I was like, what? I was like, it's just around the corner from the work. My buddy wanted to buy a guitar and I'm, I like to play. And I was like, let's go look at some guitars, man. And so we went into the store and I meet this man and he's got all these guitars in there everywhere, all his musical equipment. And he had these, some vintage, beautiful acoustic guitars up there. Some like 1960 Guilds, originals, some just, some Gibsons from the forties and just beautiful guitars. And I started talking to him about these guitars and told him about my dad's. Uh, and we just had this amazing conversation. And he was like, so what are you looking for? I was like, God, my buddy's looking for a guitar. He's just starting out, blah, blah, blah. And so we got got this guitar. And I was like leaving this experience and going, Lord, why did everybody tell me that this guy was like, whatever, don't, don't go buy anything from that guy. And he laid it on me, and he laid it on me thick. He said, son, that man is used to everybody coming in his shop in love with the idea of themselves playing music rather than being in love with music. And then he said it's the same thing with my kingdom. Some people are in love with the idea of themselves doing great things for me. Rather than being in love with me. And that's when it just absolutely broke me because I knew that that's where I was at in my life. I was doing all these things for God. Doing and doing and doing. And he was like, Can you just be with me? Can you just be with me? So I'm gonna encourage you right now today in four areas to slow down and to be with Jesus in four areas. First one is prayer. Slow down your life create some new rhythms in this new year, rhythms that stick. And I think if prayer is the number one, it's, it's more likely to stick because you're slowing down and stopping to be with Jesus. And he is the prize. The next is rest. So prayer and then rest. Rest is spiritual, guys. Now I'm not telling you to call Pastor Eric and quit everything you're doing in the church. Hear me now. I'm not saying that. If There's a lot of you that are, that are doing a lot of amazing things and it's a blessing of God, but I'm asking you to take a very honest look at your life and go, am I going too fast in some places? Am I not hearing God loud enough? Have I not given him enough space? And I guarantee you, when you slow down, and you begin to pray and then enter into rest, in those moments, things start to fall off in your life that are just unimportant, and it just just falls off because you're close to him. The closer you get to him, the more of the stuff you're carrying just falls right off. I'm preaching to the choir. I don't walk this perfectly. I'm, I'm entering into this, this new rhythm myself. I I, I move in and out of these. Um, I have very deep uh, monastic tendencies. Uh, I'm I'm very monkish uh, in a lot of things I do. My wife's laughing because she knows. Uh, But that's just how Jesus has dealt with me in my life. And that's where I'm at. And and so I have an affinity for people that have dedicated their entire lives and have separated themselves for God. And I I have a deep respect for those people. And... um, Saint Benedict, who uh, some of you may know who he is, um, he wrote a book called Saint Benedict 's Rule, and we still have Benedictine monks that live these lives that they live very similar to in the deserts and I've spent time with with these men um, in different places in the desert of Utah um, and then uh, yeah but There is something to be said for their way of life and how they purposefully slow down in order to be with Jesus. Now, and I I don't mean to lay a bunch of like religious jargon on you and and, and say, you need to read your Bible and pray more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying that it's okay for you to slow down and read Psalms 46.10 every day for the next two years. Have you been reading your Bible? Yes, I have. What are you reading? Psalms 4610. Well, David, you've been there for six months. Well, I know, dude. This is where Jesus has got me, man. Praise God. No judgment there. Why? Because you're slowing down purposefully to be with Jesus. So prayer, rest, relationships. This is a huge one. Let Jesus show you in relationships where he wants you to slow down and hear his voice to minister and to love and to receive love. And then in work, your work. Prayer, rest, relationships and work. Slow down in these places and invite Jesus in and speak to you through your whole day. There's an ancient book uh, written by a man named Brother Lawrence. He was a monk, shocker. Uh, And the book is called Practicing His Presence. And this this monk, uh, I think he lived in the 13th century, and he endeavored whatever he was doing throughout the day, whether he was washing dishes, raking leaves, praying, having communion, those are the easy times where you can focus on Jesus. But his whole thing was, I want to stay focused on Jesus through the whole day. And that's living the scripture. Jesus says, I will be in you and I will be with you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the blessing and the opportunity, Lord, to, to hear your word, to let your word speak. I thank you, Jesus, that you pursue us and you make us more like you every single day. And it doesn't matter where we're at in the journey, whether we are in a season of grief or a season of joy, a season of of celebration, there there is a call of you upon our lives in those moments to grow, to love more, to understand you better. Jesus, I pray that, I ask that you would help us in this room to slow down, to pursue you, the prize, to let go of everything we were all of last year, even all of our life. Even the things we think we are, the faulty views of ourselves, we let those go and we gain you by faith this morning. Jesus, you died, you rose from the dead, and you are alive right now in me and in this room and in the people of faith. And you are calling the world to yourself and say, Come, you're saying, Come to me. Come to me so that you may have rest. Help us, Jesus, to surrender. Help us, Jesus, not to allow our flesh, our belly become, to replace you. Let our desires be aimed towards you. Help our lives, Lord Jesus, by faith. As we extend our faith in you, allow our lives to be an expression of being with you. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. If there's anyone here this morning, I just wanna ask this simple thing. I don't wanna stop without doing this. If if you this morning know that you need to leave your old life behind it. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your savior. I just want you to do a simple thing. I'm not gonna have you do anything weird or strange. Just raise your hand and say, yeah, Jesus is talking to me about that. Is there anyone in here this morning? Please, thank you in the back. You can look up at me and just nod if you want. Just make eye contact with me and just Mm -hmm. nod say, yeah, Jesus is talking to me. Oh Lord, We thank you for what you're doing in the life of of this person in the back about a a new life in you. And I thank you, Lord, for your word that it speaks to us. You plant the seeds, you water it. You produce the fruit, Jesus. We give you all the glory and the honor. Everyone said. Amen. Thank you.